This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. The underlying motivation for Russia's war in Ukraine. Putin is the element to focus on. Uh, He is a throwback more to the Tsar era than uh, the Soviet era, really. He has this grand vision of the great Russian empire. Former U.S. Director of National Intelligence James Clapper says Putin is a problem, but there's a bigger problem. They possess the largest nuclear weapons arsenal of any country on the globe. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. For many years, I've wondered how Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, got to where he is. He was essentially, according to sources, a mid-level KGB agent who wasn't particularly notable at anything. But somehow he ended up being, at some point, perhaps the most feared man in the world, and certainly one of the richest, with more than $100 billion in his coffers. One of the people that I've asked over and over again about his thoughts about Vladimir Putin is James Clapper. He's the former director of national intelligence. He was the first guest on the Target USA podcast more than five years ago, and he told us then... Russia was an existential threat to the U.S., and we certainly know that now, and so does Ukraine. He joins us now to talk about Vladimir Putin and where we are today. Director Clapper, thank you for taking time to talk with me today. Um, You have made an indelible impression on me. This goes back to many years, but something that you said to me back in the early part of 2016 when in in the very first episode of the Target USA podcast you said Russia is an existential threat to the US and that was during a time when people I don't think were really understanding that Russia was still a major threat a lot of people thought that we had moved on and you know Russia had moved on but you saw something that we're now seeing play out in full bloom in Ukraine and in other parts of the world. So let me just ask you, and I've asked you this before, but I'm going to ask you this again now, based on what you see, um, what are your thoughts about Russia? What are your thoughts about Vladimir Putin and where we are? Well, I think uh, first uh, to go back a a bit in, uh, and Putin is, is uh, the thing is the element to focus on. Uh, He is a, throwback more to the Tsar era than uh, the Soviet era, really. He has this grand vision of the great Russian empire. And as he defines its limits, 
it's anywhere where there are Russian speakers are by definition part of that Russian empire. And then and more recently, you know, the things he said about uh, during the sort of diplomatic phase before the invasion of Ukraine is to revert to the way things were in 1997, in other words, uh, pre-NATO expansion. So, that, I mean, uh, and the reason that Russia has to be taken seriously, the uh, ultimate reason is because they possess the largest nuclear weapons arsenal of any country on the globe. And so I, and it was because of that, maybe my Cold War legacy, I don't know. I just, you know, I always try to take, never take my eyes off Russia. So what he has done because of his isolation for 22 years and, and physically in the last two years, he's in a, his own reality bubble, I believe. And I think, you know, he's turning 70 this year and he's concerned about his legacy and all that. So a number of factors, I think, that prompted him to uh, invade Ukraine. And his, what he has accomplished is the exact opposite of what I believe he, he his goals have always been, which are to divide NATO, uh, drive wedges between and among the NATO member nations and drive a wedge between NATO and the United States. Uh, he has brought about what will be a ruin, ruinous uh, situation for the Russian economy. He has shown in very clear, uh, stark terms how incompetent the Russian military is. And profoundly underestimated the will to fight of the Ukrainians and profoundly overestimated the will to fight and the capability of his own military. So he has brought uh, actually the ter you know, terrible results um, on, on himself. And um, so where, where is this all gonna go? I really don't know. What I, I kind of see is a sort of a frozen conflict on steroids. There, there had been a frozen conflict since 2014 in Ukraine, in the Donbass region anyway. So I think we're just going to have, you know, 2.0 of that. Yeah. Now, the thing that I, I uh, try to watch closely is, is the decimation of the Russian military uh, capability. Um, they have lost a lot of soldiers, a lot of equipment, and they can't sustain that. Uh, and this gets back to a fundamental problem of Russia, which is it's a very bad demographic trend, which is the decline in their overall population. And as a result, a, uh, a decline in the number of military males available for military service. Director, let me ask you this question. Um, Russia, according to sources I've spoken to, have made some significant I'll put it this way. Vladimir Putin has essentially purged a lot of people in his intelligence um, apparatus. And, you know, a couple of people that were very prominent for years have been sidelined or marginalized. And, you know, there is this really big concern about why he's doing that. What what have you seen and what do you think? Well, he's scapegoating, um, you know, find people to point fingers at. And, uh, you know, none of this is his fault. None of this is his responsibility. 
So he's going to find fault with others, whether in the military or as intelligence and security services. And that, that's kind of what's going on. So obviously, the notion of truth to power, which is kind of a bumper sticker mantra for the U.S. intelligence community, is not something that uh, is practiced in Russia. And if, it, and if, if you do try to take truth to power, you do so at your own professional and personal risk. And uh, that's what we're seeing. So obviously, he has surrounded himself over a long period of time with sycophants or yes men. And the results of that has come back to haunt him because he's, he's never had anybody, I don't believe, that would uh, give him the bad news. And so his knee-jerk re instinctive reaction, which is kind of typical of autocrats, is to dispense with uh, those that he now feels he can blame. Corruption clearly plays a big role in that whole process because, as you mentioned earlier, the military just has not done what I guess even Russians in Russia and Putin thought they could do. They have just been inept in many ways. Um, and you hear some of the audio and see some of the videos that sources have sent me and things that I've found where you have officers or rather uh, rank-and-file members of the services killing their own commanders and looking for ways to do that. And then you have scenarios where you you find firsthand where they're talking about they being they've been given orders to kill civilians and POWs. You know this is a this is a catastrophic moment to me, not just for Ukraine, but it seems as though, as you said, Russia is found itself in a really difficult situation. So I want to ask you, you know, you mentioned Putin's age, you mentioned his isolation, you mentioned whatever it is is going on in his head. This doesn't look very good for Russia for the near term, not just from an economic point of view, but from just from a regular day to day point of view for people living in Russia. What are your viewpoints and, and thoughts about folks inside Russia? And this question about palace intrigue, will this prompt in your mind somebody to take action? Well, to answer your last question first, uh, I, I, at this point, I think it's unlikely. It's not to say it's impossible, but I don't see much prospect of uh, some sort of palace, a, a coup, uh, a, uh, either a bloody coup or a bloodless coup. I just, uh, I think his, he has entrenched himself with, um, the tentacles of power and influence. Uh, I was just, uh, you know, listening to the uh, reports of the demise of two oligarchs and their families recently. Um, so I don't see much prospect of, of, of that happening. What is the challenge for the, for the West and the United States generally, and the United States specifically, is how to break through the uh, truth barrier uh, in Russia, uh, the the government there, meaning Putin, controls all the media, and has basically clamped down or eliminated any uh, uh, halfway objective media outlets. So the Russian people are being fed and uh, propagandized with you know the state version of truth, and to the extent that 
you know, polls are in Russia or any indicator, and I take them with a grain of salt, it appears that Putin enjoys uh, support. In fact, his pop approval rating, such as it is, and such as it's been measured, has, has improved uh, since the invasion. Now, at some point, JJ, uh, the truth, the, the real truth, is going to collide with the fiction uh, of that's being promulgated by the Russian government, and that's that you know that's going to get through to people. And I'm sure the government is doing all it can, either overtly or covertly, to break down those barriers to the flow of information, um, because the Russians have a, a, a serious case of truth decay. Uh, in their country, and and uh, we need we need to do what we can to help cure it. So that, to me, that's a big thing. And of course, when the the truth and the reality of uh, the number of sons of Russia that have been lost uh, in this, to include, uh, I, I suspect many uh, crew members of the Moskva, uh, the cruiser that the uh, Ukrainians succeeded in sinking. When all that truth starts to seep out, and it will, I think it already is, uh, I think that uh, false narrative, the Potemkin narrative in Russia is going gonna, is gonna, is gonna to collapse. And that, in the end, could be perhaps uh, the demise of Vladimir Putin. Yeah, it's very interesting because I saw some some metrics today that indicated so far there's less than 60 of the members of the crew of the Moskva have been found, and there's growing evidence that the rest of them may have gone down with that ship. We don't know for sure, obviously, but as you say, more more parents are looking for their sons. They're looking for their children, and it's not just there. There have been more than 20,000 Russians, supposedly, according to the Ukrainians, that have been killed in this war, and you you know, you can't burn all those bodies with the mobile crematoriums that they've been dragging out there, and you can't hide all that evidence. So at some point, you're right, that collision is coming. So the rest of the area, the the region, you know, you've got the NATO family there, um, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, and, and, you know, others. And, you know, now there's possibility of Finland and Sweden. Um a lot of the folks that I've spoken to are very, very nervous there right now. Do you think they have a really good reason to be nervous? Well, sure they do. Um, well, they do and they don't. Uh, I think one, and this gets back to something I said before about the decimation of, of the Ru- of Russian combat capability. So what is happening here, thanks to the Ukrainians and, and all the weapons that were uh, supplies that were pumping to them, are gradually eroding the combat capability, such as it was, of the Russian army. So I I believe they will not be in a position to do much uh, after Ukraine. You know, if they had designs on, uh, well, let's say Moldova, which I think is kind of vulnerable, or or the uh, eastern flank of NATO countries, you know, Poland, the Baltics, et cetera, which I think they do, but you really have to wonder about uh, uh, their actual military capability to to take them on. And getting back to an an earlier thought about the, you know, Putin accomplishing the exact opposite of what he set out to do. 
not only has he succeeded in, in uh, unifying NATO, changing the position of Germany um, with respect to NATO and the 2% of GDP for defense, now you have the likes of Finland and Sweden considering joining NATO. So not only has he not weakened the, the alliance, he's expanding it uh, be, just because of his behavior. So uh, I think his grand, his grand vision is uh, very much in question. So you, you did a lot um, in your military career and you went a lot of places. And I know you know about this little place between Lithuania and Poland. It's called the Suwalki Gap. Um, this little piece of land that, you know, sort of connects those two between Kaliningrad and Belarus. Right. And there is a, an awful lot of discussion about what Russia does there. Because one of the things that was pointed out the other day is that Russia's been discussing, or the, some of Putin's people have been, been discussing putting nuclear weapons in Kaliningrad, you know, as a part of their, their nuclear weapons expansion. And of course, you know, the Suvalki gap is right there. Um, so, and, and recognizing that, you know, you don't spend a whole lot of time looking into these very intricate little issues and problems, but just based on what you know about the Suvalki Gap and Kaliningrad and that region and looking at it against the backdrop of what we are seeing happen. Do you sense that that is a risk of that piece of that connection between those Baltics and Poland becoming a problem? Well, I'll tell you, JJ, uh, in the run up to the invasion and, uh, you know, I was asked, uh, what, what's the grand plan here? What's, what's next? What's going to happen? And I had said, you know, don't be comforted by thinking that uh, the Russians will just stop with Ukraine. Not foreseeing, to be quite honest, the resistance that would be, the fierce resistance that would be put up by the Ukrainians and how effective they would be and how abysmal the Russian military performance would be. So this is before the invasion or just as it was starting. And so, Two of the areas I specifically uh, called out was Moldova, also not a NATO member, to be clear, and which has a separatist uh, uh, toehold there with Transnistria, where the Russians have a brigade of about uh, 1,500 soldiers, and Kaliningrad. And the only way the Russians have access to Kaliningrad is via Lithuania or Poland. And I, I, I pointed to those two areas as hey, this is where the Russians could go next. Now, I'm not so sure for the aforementioned reasons that just the decimation of the Russian military capability. And of course, if, you, if the Russians decide they want to uh, have a better land bridge to the Kaliningrad, uh, that now you're talking about Poland and a NATO member where we have forces and all that. And so I think uh, there's a lot more in the way of deterrence. And so I, I am less concerned, frankly, about that area than I was at the outset of the invasion. So then let me just ask this follow-up question on that. Um, you know, 
the decimation of Russian forces, which you pointed out, then there's the command and control problem that clearly they have inside of Ukraine that's been demonstrated, the economic problems that Russia is uh, suffering. Um, do you have a sense of how long it might take Russia to, if they continued with the same political mindset and under the same political doctrine, to rebuild or reconstitute itself to where it was before this invasion, um, how long it might take them to do that? A long time. And particularly, J.J., now the Russians, the Russian military hierarchy has to realize that the decades they've spent reforming the military and the billions that they've spent on reform, on reformation, didn't work. So they have, it isn't just reconstituting their units in terms of numbers of conscripts, et cetera. That's, that's, uh, that's a quantitative measure. The more serious problem they have, which in my mind will take years, years to, to change is the, their whole uh, ethos, military ethos. Uh, their military is incompetent and their leadership is incompetent. They do not have will to fight, which is an intangible, but is so important in engaging, uh, uh, in my mind, the combat capability of, uh, uh, of, a, of a military. And there are many factors that go into, not just numbers, but many qualitative factors that go into assessing uh, a military, you know, information, communications, logistics, command and control, leadership, which has been uh, also abysmal. So, you know, probably not in my remaining lifetime uh, are, are we, are we going to see uh, a competent Russian military. And, you know, just based on what you said, probably not likely in mine either, The based, based on the way they've gone through this. But last thing, though, um, there have been so many people that have died from the Russian side in this conflict. I mean, they've lost, I think, eight major generals uh, or eight high-level generals in this conflict. And I was looking at some details from the U.S. I think the U.S. only lost one in 20 years of fighting in, in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, and so I guess the, the thing that I'm just sort of wondering about is, is this something that might push Vladimir Putin to do the unthinkable um, with a nuclear weapon, or is this a lower-level tactical nuclear weapon? But for the same, ostensibly, when you look at the, you know, the, the psychological impact of deploying a nuclear weapon, regardless of the size, it's it's still problematic. You think that's something that's likely? Well, I think it's. It was. Uh, it's more. It was certainly more likely than it was, say, before the invasion. Uh, now, that's not to say that I. I, I still. I, I have to qualify that by saying I still think it's a very, very low probability that uh, Putin would resort to that. I think even he realizes that you know you, you use a nuclear weapon of any size, you're really crossing the uh, the psychological Rubicon, so to speak. And we in the U.S. have a a real hang up about the use of nuclear weapons. We're very sensitive about it. 
because of the history. You know, we're the only U only uh, nation ever to have used a nuclear weapon against another country. So for us, the nuclear threshold is that's that's very sensitive. It is not that way with the Russians, to be clear. I mean, they in recognition of their uh, lost conventional capability as a result of the demise of the Soviet Union, where they have a smaller conventional military. So they, in their military doctrine, their thinking, uh, the nuclear threshold is probably lower than it is for us. But even so, I think um, uh, that's a big leap. And uh, he, Putin, even he, as isolated as he is, realizes that that is a real red line for the U.S., uh, the, the use of the nuclear weapon, and for that matter, the rest of the world. I would, uh, it's hard to, how do you, uh, how do you <laughs> make Russia an, an even greater pariah state, which they certainly would be if they employed a, a nuclear weapon now? Would, put, would Putin consider it? Sure, he's, he's mentioned it, he's brought it up. He likes to saber rattle with his nuclear weapons, with tests and threats and this sort of thing. And as CIA Director Bill Burns put it, and I think he put it exactly right, you just can't take those statements lightly. Well, Director Clapper, once again, you have taken us to school and I'm very grateful for that. I always have been, I thank you for just the way in which you take your time uh, take and, 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 and donate it to us to educate us. Thank you so much again for this great interview, and um, I hope that we'll be able to engage again um, in a while uh, about uh, this hopefully being over and, you know, what happened. No. But who knows how long that will be. But thank you again, as always, sir. Thanks, JJ. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode. The news that Trevor Reed was being released by the Russians was great news for his family, but a really dark cloud was cast over that day by something the U.S. government did, or better said, didn't do. It's fantastic that Trevor is home. Elizabeth Whelan, Paul Whelan's sister, he's been in Russian captivity since 2018. She says there's another side to this. We feel um, a terrible sense of disappointment uh, on Paul's behalf and also a sense of betrayal. And why is that? We were not uh, told that this was going to be happening. We had ha hardly a half an hour to prepare before the news uh, hit the national media. And the worst part of this whole thing. Paul had to find out about the trade uh, and Trevor's release from Russian television. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hey, Cobra Kai fans. Come hear what Peyton Liss has to say on Kicking It With The Coves this week. Peyton plays one of my favorite characters, Tori Nichols. Our stunt coordinators came up with a sort of 
training background for each character. Mm, like, that's interesting. Uh, Tori had done a little kickboxing before, so that kind of came in when I first tried to take on Miguel and why I was cocky enough to think that, you know, I could come in here and I could just make an entrance. Listen to Kicking It with the Coves now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, and wherever you can sweep your leg and get the podcasts. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.